everybody, and welcome to In It Together. My name is Jeremy Augusta, of course. I have Brent here again. Hello. And then we have a totally new guest, if you want to introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Gabe Butsky, and I'm going to try to provide a different perspective on today's news. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about uh, what your role here is at CMU and why you're kind of a unique person to be on this podcast with us. Uh, well, for starters, I'm a senator from SGA, and then I'm also a member of the College Republicans, which I hear is something that will be different to uh, this perspective. Yeah, we typically have uh, pretty liberal people on here, and we're both pretty liberal, I would say. I wouldn't say You liberal. don't like the tag liberal, but you're definitely left. Correct, but okay. yeah, I'm not, I'm not a liberal. I would say I'm probably more moderate than anything, but yeah. moderate's still different than liberal. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, oh, also, you're a freshman here, right? Yeah. So, if you guys ever want to get involved with the college Republicans, you know who, who to talk to. <laughs> I would be interested to see if we have any like conservative people who listen to this. I don't know if we do. Uh, I mean, probably. I think it's more than likely. There's probably at least a couple. But maybe they'll be relieved this year and they'll stop yelling at me on Facebook. Make, uh, make, make some uh, meme compilations of us behind <laughs> our backs. If somebody made a meme compilation of this podcast, I would be so flattered. Um, okay, so first things first, H.W. Bush died. Um, 41st president of the United States, director of the CIA, head of the GOP, UN ambassador, and World War II veteran. Um, we kind of talked about this before the podcast, and I'm interested to see if you've seen any of this. But for the most part, people were pretty civil at the death of this, and there were a few examples of leftists on Twitter and on Facebook saying, like, good riddance and stuff like that. And sure, like, the things they kept going to were like, yeah, that's bad. Like, the way he treated the drug crisis was definitely not a high point in H.W. Bush's life. But there are a lot of things that I, I think he did especially well, like foreign policy and Angela Merkel, Angela Merkel credited him with uniting Germany and, and people... Um, what is his name? Um, the Gorbachev. Credited, oh, Mikhail Gorbachev. Yeah, Mikhail Gorbachev credited him with helping stabilize the Soviet Union after the fall of that country. Um, so those were just things that I, I I really appreciate that he did, and other people on my side might not give him quite the credit for. One of the articles I put in the show notes is called It's a Disgrace to Celebrate George H.W. Bush on World's AIDS Day by Stephen W. Thrasher uh, in The Nation. It was just kind of a weird opinion. Um, do you want to talk about kind of what you saw on social media and how you reacted to it? Yeah, I mean, the primary things that I saw that were kind of attacking him uh, were the was the result of the AIDS epidemic and also uh, the Gulf War. Yeah. Um, now, the AIDS epidemic is one that confuses me the most because though the AIDS epidemic definitely was a problem during George H.W. Bush's presidency, he actually did take steps to try to stop it. He increased federal AIDS funding multiple times by the time he left his presidency. I think there was like $1.7 billion in the federal budget to try to stop the AIDS epidemic. And obviously, I think that he could have done more, but I think that they're kind of giving him a bad shot when it comes to what he did during that time. Yeah. And just generally, I think it is impossible to find a president who doesn't who had who hadn't done at least some bad things. Right. Like when you're making public policy, you're going to have some missteps and the Gulf War can obviously be one of those and people can consider those things missteps. But for for the most part, I genuinely think H.W. Bush is one of the politicians who really did care about his constituents and you could really tell that in like the letter he left to Bill Clinton right. and things like that. Um do you have anything you want to say on on Bush, Brent? Um I think it's probably obvious where I stand on Bush. Um, I'm not really of the, uh, like, I don't take any pleasure in, like, spitting on someone's grave, you know, when the body's still warm, you know. 
Um, so I'm not really rushing to social media to like really like you know, be happy of his death. Even like I wouldn't say I'm happy. Though, Nobody's but, but, uh, none of us are popping party poppers. But I, I I do sometimes question why it seems to be this kind of uh, I don't know this kind of like spiritual event that happens when former presidents die, and there seems to be this like need in a lot of like liberal circles to. I think cleanse those presidents of any potential like humanity or blame. And I'm not exactly sure why. Um, I mean, we talked about the Gulf War. I think that's like probably one of the biggest reasons why I would have a problem with H.W. Bush. Um, I don't really feel like going like too deep into Bush. Yeah. Um, ultimately, I'm kind of indifferent to him. In my opinion, he in some ways more so rectified some blunders of Reagan, but uh, I, 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 I just question why he's another kind of like figure who gets the kind of like liberal, like, like white seal of approval. Like there's some yeah. Republican politicians who historically have this liberal like stamp, like, Oh, they were okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just like with John McCain after John yeah. McCain. Yeah, died, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Little, and I think the reason what it's something that's similar with George H.W. Bush and with John McCain is that they were fairly bipartisan in their time and they were more than willing to get along with the other side. I mean, that's evidence with George H.W. Bush by President Obama giving him the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Yeah. I mean, they were two men who were more than happy to reach across the aisle and George H.W. Bush especially had to do that in the beginning of his presidency because he had a Democrat Congress to work with. Yeah. So I think that's the reason and they're trying to hearken back to a time that was more civil in politics because there's that quote from George H.W. Bush that said that there doesn't have to be meanness in politics. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the big thing is that even though you may disagree with the decisions that George H.W. Bush made, it's difficult to attack the person himself because he thought he was making a good decision at the time. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the there's a gif of um, John McCain voting like he's standing like this on the Senate floor and it's for Obamacare repeal and he just thumbs it down. And I think when liberals saw that, they were like, OK, he's not that bad. Like, yeah, th things like that have have tried to rectify that. Fox did a really good video on H.W. Bush and how he was kind of the last bastion of this East Coast kind of wealthy republicanism that is polar opposite to Reaganism. Right. And a lot of the stuff he did domestically during his his time in office was a holdover from that Reagan era and from having cabinet members who were part of Reagan's um, cabinet and trying to appeal to that side of the Republican Party. Whereas if you look at his foreign policy, he's stellar on foreign policy. Yeah. Probably one of the best like him and Nixon were good on foreign policy, like things like that, like things that he did like that are really things that make him stand out in terms of presidents. Yeah, I mean, you just look at his record with foreign policy, and he even said it himself that foreign policy is where he's most comfortable. Mm -hmm. But he spent hours upon hours researching and looking at film and reading the the writings of foreign monarchs and foreign dignitaries because he wanted to not just get know just get to know the people, but he also wanted to get to know the countries that he was going to be working with because that was something that was really important. And he might be the last of one of those presidents that had such a strong emphasis on foreign policy and getting to know other foreign leaders. And that's why he worked with them so well. Yeah. Okay. Let's get off Bush and on to one of my favorite news topics that I saw this past week, and that is Michael Cohen pleading guilty to lying to Congress about the Trump real estate project in Russia. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Michael Cohen is Trump's old former lawyer. He went to jail originally for campaign finance issues on the Trump campaign. Um, 
He's also been called kind of a fixer by Donald Trump. He did pay or he attempted to pay Stormy Daniels a large sum of money. Actually, he did pay her from campaign money, um, and that's what landed him in, in trouble in, first, in the first place. Um, Trump called him a weak person. Uh, he, he said even if his testimony were true, it is perfectly legal for him to negotiate real estate deals while campaigning. Continuing, he's a weak person and a not very smart person. Even if he was right, it doesn't matter because I was allowed to do whatever I wanted to do during the campaign. I was running my business. Cohen, oh, this is all according to USA Today. Cohen pleaded guilty to a single count of lying to Congress about a Trump Tower development project in Moscow, according to the U.S. Attorney General's office in Manhattan. Um, and then, yeah, that's that's what's going on with Cohen. Not looking good for him. Um, I mean, I'm like completely indifferent to this. Yeah, it's it's, it's completely not important in any kind of real context. You don't think this hurts Donald Trump? Like significantly, I I, oh, I actually, don't I, I don't think, think I don't think the average person should care about this. I think the average person, the average working person, doesn't care, and they really shouldn't care because it's it's really just a it's it it's it's really just a non a non event, another non event. I actually think this this specific thing that just happened kind of helps Donald Trump's case, really, because previously Michael Cohen had agreed to testify against Donald Trump and that's why he got a good plea deal with yeah. the campaign finance but now he's pled guilty to lying to Congress mm-hmm. and because he's pled guilty to lying to Congress I mean that's something that Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton got impeached for that's a really big deal yeah. so now he's not a very reliable witness so if it comes down to Donald Trump against Bob Mueller Donald Trump's defense team is going to have a field day destroying Michael Cohen as a witness yeah I mean that's very true but this is just another person within Trump's inner circle who's now facing long a long time in prison because he did something to help Donald Trump. And I'll, I'll, there's more people like that who I think are now in Robert Mueller's uh, crosshairs. That includes Roger Stone, Jerome Corsi, who literally said on Twitter he believes he's going to be indicted and he's friends with Roger Stone. I also have this like pipe guess that Don Jr. is going to get arrested at some point or Don Jr. is going to be facing some sort of criminal charges because of that uh, meeting with the Russians in Trump Tower that he's lied about. Uh, I I think this is like, you you guys are probably right because it seems like nothing has hurt Trump thus far. Yeah. But I think this is just adding to the mounting evidence of saying like, okay, Trump is probably doing some shady things in Russia. Yeah. The problem with the current state of the Mueller investigation is that the people that he's getting they can tie them they can tie them to Donald Trump but they can't tie them to Russia very well mm-hmm. that's the problem that they're having because the whole investigation is trying to find Russia collusion and i mean when you look at what uh Cohen was indicted for it was for campaign finance charges mm-hmm. which those charges the Stormy Daniels affair had nothing to do with Russia so they're kind of having trouble tying it all together and i think that that's pretty much Donald Trump's only escape route at this point I think he's going to get elected again in 2020. Yeah, you still have this. uh, His influence is already uh, um, potent all throughout American culture, so it doesn't really matter what happens to him you? Because this is an opinion Brent has held long term. What are you you thinking about these 2020 chances for Donald Trump? I mean, part of it depends on who runs. The current Democratic frontrunner is probably Joe Biden if he decides to run. He's been saying that he might not run still, but if Donald or if Joe Biden runs against Donald Trump in 2020, I think Joe Biden will wipe the floor with Donald Trump. I hope Joe Biden doesn't run because he's just so old. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think he's in good health. Yeah, we I, need- I, I honestly think that Trump would beat Biden. I really do. When, I, I, when it gets I, closer he, to he strikes me as just like another Clinton. He does. He's definitely of that like he, he's just of that exact same ilk. He's yeah. like a you know another Clinton Pelosi. He's of that ilk. 
Yeah, we can we can talk about that uh, Pelosi wing earlier and what's going on with the Democrats and her. We we really should have you on closer to 2020 to talk about the Republican candidates because right now I don't see any Republicans who look like they're going to be running. Oh, I mean the some of them might put a bid in, but there's no sitting president who's ever lost his yeah. party's primary, so it's very unlikely that there's any real contenders to beat Donald mm-hmm. Trump. And I think Donald Trump would win by an even bigger landslide in the yeah, 2020 primaries. Absolutely. absolutely. But I think the problem is that when it comes to elections in the United States, Republican voter turnout is very, very consistent. It's almost the same numbers of people voting every time. Yeah. Democrat turnout is much more wishy-washy. And so essentially there has to be something that gets Democrats to turn out. And I think that person is Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the reason that you're going to see huge turnout numbers. Yeah. And most of those people probably aren't going to be voting Republican. I agree. I think that's something that helps the Demo- that helped the Democrats a lot in the midterms. I was in a precinct in the middle of like a deep Republican area, and a lot of the votes were coming in closer than I would have expected and closer than the Republican county chairman who was sitting right next to me would have expected. Oh, yeah, definitely. So that was definitely something that surprised me on Election Day and then seeing the results in Michigan and nationally were, were kind of a huge shock to me. Yeah. Well, I, I, I kind of want to ask Gabe something. I mean, since you're a member of the college Republicans here, what would you say are like the problems in the left right now? I think that they are they have an identity crisis, I think, is the biggest problem. And I think that uh, Nancy Pelosi is a perfect example of that. There's so before after the 2016 election, there was a problem in the uh, party where there were kind of the far left Democrats and the kind of more traditional Democrats. And they were kind of far, fighting it out. And now it's gone even bigger. So it's young far-left Democrats, some old far-left Democrats, and there's kind of an old young fight going on Mm -hmm. and a far-left and more centrist left fight going on. So I think what they really need is something to unify the party. What is what is far-left? Like, like I guess, I, mean, I, guess, I, guess, I guess define that for me. Uh, well, and when I say far left, I guess I mean relative. So I would consider someone like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Bernie Sanders far left in comparison to Joe Biden. OK, because I, 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 I sometimes just I hear a lot of words like far left apply to people like them. And then usually that gets concurrent with something like Marxist or socialist oh, yeah, no, or something. I'm, I mean, like leftism in the United States is far different from leftism in Europe or, or anything like that. So I, I mean, pretty much purely in the scope of American politics as compared to other American Democrats. Right, right. Because I mean, like, and I, 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 I appreciate you saying that because I feel like often the the direction that's usually taken is that this kind of like it's sort of a fear mongering. Yeah, it's a very like yeah. fear mongering thing, like to usually say far left. So I guess further left than Joe Biden. But I would argue that that's like, I mean, Joe, Joe Biden, I, I guess like like how I would say that he's like a Clinton, I would consider Clinton very like center or very like oh, center Oh yeah, left. Joe Biden's probably the stereotypical centrist Democrat. I, yeah. I think that yeah. the problem is that like a lot of the, the, the Democrats need to shake the, the kind of like corporate identity and they need to embrace more of like a grassroots identity, which yeah, I think- definitely, because that's what Donald Trump won in 2016, despite the fact that he's like one of the richest people yeah, in the he, world. He's he managed to get- a lot of the lower middle the, class the lower middle class vote, yeah, and that's something that Democrats used to just run the ticket with. Yeah, especially in Rust Belt areas like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio. Yeah, well, yeah, and speaking of Michigan, I mean, look at this just midterm. I mean, we had three of those like ballot proposals. That was grassroots achievement. I mean, those right. were people getting out there to get those those you know, ballots put on there, signed. They got the signatures. That was grassroots, you know, activism getting that on the, on the measure. I think the problem is that leftists have kind of abandoned that strategy and they've 
sought after like the corporate Democrat strategy. Yeah. I think that it would really be in their best interest to go a more grassroots, almost like leftist libertarian route if they could have their own contingency of that. I think that they're going to continually lose if they try to, you know, champion a corporate Democrat against Trump because they have too much baggage and they're too unlikable. It's like they really are just too unlikable. And like, and I'm, I'm, I'm like talking as a leftist here. Right. Like I despise like the Cory Bookers and like all, all those types. They're really bad for the party. Right. I mean, Hillary Hillary Clinton's a perfect example, too. I mean, look at how many corporate donations she had. That was like the number one thing that Donald Trump probably hit her on in the 2016 election was Mm -hmm. I am privately funded and I'm funded by only actual voters, small donations. Bernie Sanders did really well against her. Right. You really can't be a Democrat in today's. You certainly can't be a Democrat in Congress and take corporate money because we saw most of the Democrat candidates for Congress refuse to take corporate money. And that's not a huge deal. Democrats typically don't get a ton of their money from corporate donors. But being able to say, I don't take corporate money is a really powerful thing to get somebody out there, to get grassroots voters out there and voting for you and to donate for you. I I I think ideally, I would want no corporate money in any kind of political field. Yeah, ideally. The Democrats in the House right now are working on legislation to try and limit corporate donations or to at least limit disclosure of those donations. They're also doing stuff with Facebook and other social media giants to promote disclosure of finances for campaign funding. And I think that's something that both parties can agree on. Facebook telling you who paid for ads should be a given. And right. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I know a lot of Republicans who are against big money corporate donations who don't really think that's quite the way democracy should work or that's quite the way campaign funding should work. Um, well, I kind of take a different perspective on this. And this kind of follows the idea of the legal logic in Citizens United. Mm-hmm. Um, which is essentially that your money is your speech and the government shouldn't be able to limit your speech. And I know that we always hear about how money is a big problem in politics, but in the past what four presidential elections, the campaigns who have gotten the most donors and have gotten the most money from big political donors have lost. I mean, look no further than Beto O'Rourke in Texas in the 2018 election. Mm-hmm. He broke the record for the most campaign raised for a congressional candidate, and he still lost. So I think... I don't know if it's as big of a problem as, as we say it is. The thing about treating money like your speech is that we all have the same level of speech. We're all guaranteed the same level of speech, but we don't all have the same level of money. Yeah, the thing with that, though, is I don't know if we all have the some, same level of speech. Some of we us should have ideally far, have the same level of speech. But some of us have a far bigger platform than others. I mean, right now, we have more speech than many other people on campus just by doing this podcast. I mean, you look at somebody, Donald Trump has millions of followers on Twitter. So when Donald Trump tweets something, it's going to have a whole lot more uh, following than my 30 followers on Twitter. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I sort of agree with you, but I just, I'm still not sold on the money in politics is, is, a, is as big of a problem as we say it is thing. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I mean, just to kind of like go off of that, what about, I mean, sitting members of Congress or the Senate that we know, I mean, like, all right, not even the Congress or the Senate. Let's think about um, Gretchen Whitmer. Let's keep it Local, she's getting corporate money from Blue Cross. I mean, do you think that that is in its face a problem? Um, that that a private company is going to give her money that could impose real world effects on, like, in 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 my opinion, something that shouldn't be tainted by the market, something that should just be provisional. And I'm talking healthcare, right? Um, so I feel like like a private incentive into the political realm like that. I mean, we can talk about, you know, corporate money, but I feel like that is kind of crossing a line in that she is going to just further prevent something that I think most Americans strategically want to have happen. 
Yeah. Well, I guess it depends on how you think that the problem arises. So if Blue Cross is actually buying Gretchen Whitmer, then there's legal recourse for that. If Gretchen Whitmer governs in a certain way because she received money from Blue Cross. She's appointed one of their executives to her cabinet. Yeah. That's that's pretty common. I guess that that is a verifiable problem in politics. The I, I, guess, I guess, all right, take, take, it, take it as like a, like, all right, I'm going to paint out a somewhat hypothetical for you. Let's say you're a voter. I mean, you could be a, you know, like any any voter, I'm not going to like tie it to any political party. But let's say you know you voted for Whitmer and you didn't have that knowledge that she had that backing of you know Blue Cross. Right. But you voted for her because she was a Democrat, and there's this common contingency in some Democrat circles to eventually move to a single payer healthcare system. Right. So I feel like her not disclosing that until after. I mean, no one really knew about that until after she won. Yeah, that yeah. was like the next Gretchen Whitmer article after her victory was Gretchen Whitmer appoints Blue Cross Blue Shield. And, and I feel like that's very telling of why that happened. It's like she clearly would have broadcast that information if she thought it was beneficial to her career. She knew but it, was it clearly not isn't. Right. And, and I feel like the whole thing with corporate money is a lot of you know politicians they'll kind of be like, well, I don't think it's much of a problem because they don't they really don't want you to think it, it it's a problem. It really is a problem with when corporations have any kind of any kind of leeway and not and not only like politicians themselves but the media, because like right now like I was just talking on the last episode how we do have a kind of monopoly with media like you know CNN, Fox, MSNBC. These are corporate media structures, right? And in the same way that I'm sure you would advocate that you wouldn't want a monopoly in the market, right? I wouldn't want a monopoly in media, right? Um, so I, mean, I, I would want something that's more grassroots, organized by workers. Right. Ideally. The thing is, that's I wish the media worked that way. But I mean, I, yeah, I, I really think it could. It, I really think that, that there's way to to reduce this kind of corporate influence. But the I only feel thing like that's it's, difficult about that is a lot of the smaller media organizations don't have the resources to get to the stories as fast as the major media organizations does. So even when you look at like small media outlets like, you know, Huffington Post or BuzzFeed, they're getting their information from a major media source. They're not usually doing all of the reporting themselves because they don't have the resources to do that. So in a country this big with this many people, it almost takes a massive media conglomerate in order to get to the bottom of things. I, I think we've got different definitions of what small media is. Because when it comes to my mind, I'm thinking local news. Like the Morning okay. Sun is is what I consider um, small lo- small media. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's dying out kind of as a result of these corporate giants being allowed to purchase small independent or small more independent news sources. So, for example, Sinclair Programming owns a lot of the local news stations across the country, and They've more or less been in the news recently for telling their anchors what they can and can't say about certain political crises. So they've had to the the issue with having this big, like massive news conglomerate that runs all these channels across the uh, across the nation is that they can just write out one document and tell all of their anchors this is what you need to tell people to do, and right. they have the money and power to do that. Uh, certainly, we'll disagree about the solutions, but in the past. That's been prevented by regulations saying you cannot monopolize this many news stations and things like that. And I don't right. know what the solution is or if we can even have hash that out today. Um, but like those are that's what we think of when we think of small media. OK, yeah. that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I would say that that's probably a problem. I mean. They're all pretty much saying the same things now because they're all, I mean, like 90 percent of media is owned by the same six corporations. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I would say that that. I would actually say that media in politics is far more powerful than money in politics because 
media can strongly influence elections just by the amount of coverage a candidate gets. Yeah, I feel like it can also influence it uh, what's the word? Uh, inadvertently. Right. Uh, can completely it's better influence things. It yeah, I, I would argue yeah, absolutely. That. Um, or somewhat, you know, subconsciously. And I'm not trying to argue like there's these like subliminal messages. Like I'm right. not saying that, but I mean, there's clear, I think, social consequences to certain uh certain media exposures right and sometimes for better and for worse yeah i think the the message is watch or try and watch all different kinds of news like i was telling you guys about this earlier i spent a week last year only watching fox news just to see what i felt and how i reacted to it and i honestly afterwards said i can't believe it i don't mind sean hannity so you might learn something and you might find something new that you like i hate everything that he thinks but i think I like watching the guy. That's all I can say about it. Well, I mean, I love there's Anderson there's there, there, there's yeah, a reason <laughs> there there's a reason why most Americans don't know anything about Iraq and Kuwait under Bush Senior. It's because during that time, there was virtually very very little deep corporate I mean coverage of like the U.S. support to Saddam. There was very little media coverage of deep kind of like tantalizing details of what was going on with U.S. You know, intervention in the Middle East. Yeah, the government and I ahead, and and no. I think that that's directly tied to how I mean, I, and I know that people are always talking about like there's this divide between you know capitalism and and corporatism, and you know I think it's somewhat irrelevant because I think regardless, it's kind of evolving into that whether we want it to or not, and I think that we need to kind of diverge this overarching corporate influence in politics, in you know, uh, uh, marketing. Because it's already kind of manifested itself enough in our lives to the point where, like, it's kind of already, we're kind of already at that kind of, like, cor- corporatist stage. Because, like how you said, six corporations basically own the planet's, like, monetary resources. Right. And that's that, to me, is kind of a, a really scary thing to think about. Right. It, I mean, I, I, I don't know. To go back to what you said, I think a lot of the reason that the U.S. didn't have a great coverage of... That war is because the U.S. government did a lot to limit how the press could cover it. Um, I mean, I, that, that, that too. We also have, I mean, those kinds of, you know, omissions. I mean, I believe Dick Cheney during, uh, oh, what was I? This was 2004. I, no, 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 not 2004. It was Operation Desert Shield and Desert Storm. They did this one uh, report where they said that, uh, you know, the U.S., uh, forces had to bury about 450 you know Iraqi bodies and what actually happened later when they they you know actually dug into the the, the reports is they were using tanks as just like these plows oh. and just running people over that's and burying gross. them alive and like whether or not you think that that's like allowed in war i question why dick cheney didn't represent it as what it is so like when 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 we say that like he's oh dick cheney well i'm exactly but like i mean when when we say like oh the U.S. government kind of like withheld coverage of that. That again is, I think, a very troubling problem because then we learn about things after the fact, and we're not able to rectify the problem because we don't have enough of, dem- of a democratic process. We as people in the in how things are handled. I want you mentioned something earlier, and I want to bring it up to you. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but okay. U.S. Representative Joe Kennedy urged fellow Democrats to adopt a new economic ideology. Would you like to know what it is? It uh, is what? moral capitalism. 
screw it. I've I, heard it. I've heard it before. I, I've heard this. I knew before. you would have that sort of reaction. No, I like. Does he does he outline what he means by that? Um, I will read. I, on. I, I'd love to get Gabe's take on this too. Kennedy said the push is to rebuke what he describes as trickle down, feed the top. If you're struggling, try harder narrative of conservatives. It's a narrative he says President Donald Trump has sharpened to divide Americans, many of whom share similar economic worries despite holding different political views. Um, let me see if he mentions. Uh, it, it's basically it would basically want to move America to kind of like social democracy of Europe. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's still capitalism. It's not socialism. It's not Marxism. It's social cap. It's a it's a social democracy. It's welfare capitalism, mm-hmm. which, I mean, isn't perfect. There's flaws in that system. You know, that, that's why I you know, sometimes get impatient with people like Bernie Sanders because he kind of, I think he paints these systems as a bit more utopian than they actually are. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're cer- I think they're certainly better than our system here, but they are not socialist utopias. These are not socialist, you know, uh, bastions. These, yeah. Are, yeah. these are just welfare capitalist countries that do have a lot of, problems mm-hmm. yeah different like, from ours but they do have substantial weird problems nothing could be more picturesque than bernie sanders talking about socializing healthcare than a little blue jay landing on his podium like it did and just sitting there bernie sanders had this weird magic about him in the 2016 race that i think a lot of people would hear the good things and not at all listen to the bad things and that's kind of how we got the bernie bros and people like that uh, i i i think that whole bernie bro thing was kind of a it's kind of a red herring term i don't know Fair enough, but there, there were a, little, a few. Yeah, there were unreaded, there, were a, few, <laughs> there but, was uh, a lot of Bernie Bros. Yeah. Did you want to touch at all about the Democrats' new take on ethical capitalism? I mean, if it is what Brent says it is, then it sounds like they're just trying to rename a term for democratic socialism, essentially, or the democratic socialism in uh, Northern you guys Europe. Might get into the weeds on that. Yeah, I, I try. I, I try to make a distinction between the social democracy and democratic socialism because. One is socialism, one is capitalism. Right. The democratic socialism, that would mandate that people democratically own the means of production, which we don't see in any of those European countries. Right. Certainly not. Unfortunately, in my point of view, um, there's still you know hierarchically structured workforces. There, right. I mean, there's a lot more unions. There's a clear uh, labor force. There's, and then a, there's much a clear beneficiary stronger, of that labor force. Yeah, I believe Iceland has like a 90% union uh, 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 workforce, like, it's 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 crazy, but um, these are still capitalist countries. So I just right. I mean, even I, the the prime minister of Denmark said he wanted to quote. I want to make one thing clear: Denmark is not a socialist plan economy. Yeah. Denmark yes. is a market economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So if I'm pretty sure what you said, Joe Kennedy. Yeah, Joe Kennedy. Joe Kennedy is just trying to do is try to take the term looks socialism. Like him. Looks like the Kennedy. He looks like he, a yeah, Kennedy. He does. Yeah. Just just take the term socialism out of what Bernie Sanders is preaching in order to make people hate it less because people just people just hate the word socialism. Yes, and I I and there's a lot of historical reasons for that, but um yeah, that that that's really the downfall of people like Bernie Sanders because they they give that you term socialism is a killer. Like it, it and it is and it, it's it's a big killer because they don't actually propose anything similar to it. They're just proposing like welfare capitalism. Right. Which I mean Again, I mean, I I think it would be beneficial in America to some degree. I would love universal health care, but it's not really what I, it's not the thing that I I dream about occurring in America. You asked me um, last week, and I think this will be an interesting question to pose to you. What if like we could pick any form of, any form of policy to push through? Correct me if I'm quoting you wrong, but you asked us if we, what was our dream policy just if we were king and we could pass through any policy, what would it be? And I kind of, uh, I've talked about like a new 
a Green New Deal, and I don't know what you what you talked about. Um, I, 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 we'd have to rewind the tape. Probably something about workplace democracy. We did this off air, so I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably, probably something entailing like work, workplace democracy, some type of like fed, federalist republic. I yeah. don't know. What about you? If you could pass through magically any legislation oh, right now, I would greatly li- limit the influence of the federal government in Americans' lives, okay. especially the office of the president. I think mm-hmm. the president has become the executive uh, branch has the, swelled up. Yeah, has, has swelled up a bunch of faceless, nameless bureaucrats. Um, and also, the federal government is doing a bunch of things that they were never intended to be doing, and. I mean, I think this is something that we can agree on and disagree on, but basically the more power the federal government has, the less power the people have. Mm -hmm. And so the people have a lot more control over their local and state officials. And so when that power gets taken away from them, then they're not seeing the solutions that they want to see. Yeah. People certainly, there is certainly like the federal government does have uh, disproportionately more power than I think it would, that I think it was intended to have when the constitution was drafted. But there's also an optics thing where people will blame the president for things that the president really doesn't have a ton of control over. Like a lot of people don't understand that their local government probably impacts their life a lot more more, than than the federal government. Um, Okay, I'd like to transition now, if you guys are all finished, to one of my favorite pieces of news from this weekend. And that is Fox News' streaming service, dubbed as Netflix for Boomers. Uh, The service is called Fox Nation. They haven't put out a price yet. Their tagline is, opinion done right. Notice the play on words there. <laughs> um, some of the great programming, if you subscribe to Fox Nation, could be Moms. Host Rachel Campos Duffy sits down with some of Fox News' favorite moms for an inside look into the one of the greatest life challenges, motherhood. This roundtable discussion touches on topics like balancing a busy schedule, handling the tense political debate, the tense political climate, I'm sorry, and raising kids in the age of social media. Is that something either of you would tune into, Moms? Um... That's maybe an entirely sarcastic question, and if I caught any of you watching Moms, I would be shocked. I oh, think you... if I wanted to have that conversation, I would just talk to my mother. Yes, that's probably a better <laughs> thing to do. Just go out and talk to an old lady. Um, I, I I really sometimes cringe, and I think that we can all agree in in, in unison here. The kind of like conservative comedian. Oh, there's shtick. a whole lot more of them coming and, up, and it's oh, not yeah. it's it's not even so much like the. It's sometimes how they just like bluntly insert politic, but I that that's cringy when Democrats do it too. Yeah. But it's just they always just feel like these tainted, failed comedians that just like their their last resort is that they had to get involved in like some weird like internet. It's kind of like a cult cable company, like 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 Stephen Crowder. He's a failed comedian. He's a yeah, failed stand up comedian who became like this like you know personality basically for like you know, basic like conservatism. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know and, if I would call Stephen Crowder a failed comedian. All right, I, I'd, say, I, I'd, say, I'd say I'd say he's a failed comedian in the sense that I think that he failed in. Being a being comedian a that he wanted to be, because his his reputation within the realm of comedians is poor. So oh, I, I, yeah, I feel like yeah. he failed in that like kind of aspect of Joe being Rogan. a comedian. Yeah, he was on Joe Rogan, but Joe, I mean, Joe Rogan. Well, Joe Rogan have literally is, is, anybody. Is, yeah, is Joe, is Joe Rogan really like the seal of 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 dude? You know, Joe Rogan here. is the stamp of success. I think. Can, if can you go you guys on Joe Rogan? It, you right, will right. explode in popularity. Continue. Uh, can I ask you guys if you heard about this uh, Dinar scam? I don't think I have heard yeah, of that. Yeah, I don't know. Not uh, sure. It's this thing that I heard about where um, some Trump supporters, and I'm just talking, I'm not saying like all Trump supporters. I'm saying like maybe the guys that are really like deep in like the QAnon. Is this a Proud Boys shit. thing? No, 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 no. Uh, this is this idea that Trump was propagating that he wants to 
uh, make all currencies like on an equal playing field. Did you guys hear him talk no, about I this? I don't know what this is. He talked about putting all currencies on like a, a equal playing field. And a lot of his supporters are talking about how that's going to affect the Iraqi dinar, which is a currency in dinar, which is worthless outside of Iraq. But some Trump supporters are buying like the <laughs> like it's crypto. They're kind of buying it like in bulk, hoping that once Trump establishes this like economic plan of his yeah. to, you know, make all currencies on an equal playing field, it will raise that currency higher. Mm. So like, oh, I, I this bought, is exactly you know, like crypto. <laughs> that's yeah. yeah so that's... it's basically like this crypto thing. And it's it's not like this is probably like 30 people. <laughs> yeah. But, 30. Um, I, I just thought that was a very. Instead Very, of buying like, Bitcoin, you're buying the currency of yeah, a failed state. Buying dinar. Yeah, I've, I've, <laughs> I have not heard of this gonna before. Dinar is going to be off the chain. When I, when I heard about that story, I was just completely flabbergasted that people were buying Iraqi currency like as stock. I'm just wondering how strange. one would plan to put all currencies on a level playing field. Yeah, how does one like execute that? This sounds like some Donald Trump tried weed for the first time. And was like, <laughs> I got a great idea. Like my first week in an economics class at Midmish, um, I asked that, like, I asked my economics professor, I was like, hey, just like, I, I don't know why, but like, why isn't there just like a global currency? And he was just like, well, it just wouldn't work. And he did, he spent like 30 minutes explaining like why, like different economic materials. I can and, like, give you all a these very simple explanation of why. Yeah. Because I just watched a Vox video on it. This happened in the EU with the, um, I don't remember, what is their currency called? The Euro. The Euro. Can't believe I didn't remember that. But that's why Greece was such, uh, was so bad is because. They were in an economic situation that would warrant them printing more euros, but the rest of the European Union countries wouldn't allow that, so their cur- their country couldn't manipulate their currency to stop a recession. Yeah, yeah, and that's, yeah. Like and no that's why their currency, specific yeah. places need specific currency. Yeah, it would make many countries economically dependent on each other, and in that case, if one country had a recession, it could also have huge economic effects right. on other countries. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it was... I hadn't thought about this whole debate in like forever since I saw it. Popped into your mind when the dinar came up. (laughs) Yeah, uh, back on to continuing with some of our programming audio only versions of Tucker Carlson tonight and Hannity. So if you want to listen to him, that's where you go. Oh, just Tucker's voice. Just Tucker's voice. You don't get to see that beautiful face and bow tie just chewing on that Nicorette gum, like his life depends on it. He's got to get some Yeezys, like like uh, does he? Like uh, I don't I don't uh, want to see Charlie Kirk. He's got to get some Yeezys. (laughs) That would make him so much more relatable to the kids. Yeah, there. If Trump, uh, if Trump wore Yeezys, he'd he'd get elected in twenty twenty for sure. Either you guys see that photoshopped image of Donald Trump bald but with a beard, and it was the yeah. caption was like the Democrats will never plan for this in twenty twenty. <laughs> uh, the next movie we have Planned Parenthood: The Hidden Harvest, which just sounds like a great way to kill an hour and a half. I didn't mean to use the word kill there. I apologize. <laughs> um, there's Borked. If you guys don't know who Bork is, I'll tell you after I read the description. Follow Bork as he is the center of an epic battle over control of the Supreme Court between President Ronald Reagan and the Senate, led by Democrats Ted Kennedy and Joe Biden. So Bork was a Reagan Supreme Court nominee who was not passed because he was called too far right. Um, The seat that he was going for originally went to Anthony Kennedy. And then when Kennedy stepped down in a sick twist of irony, that seat was given to Brent Kavanaugh. So Reagan did get his hyper Republican uh, judicial nominee eventually. Uh, we already talked about it. Andrew Jackson, Hero Under Fire, Waters World with Jesse Waters. This is the description of the show. Oh, Jesse Waters. And I do not trust Jesse Waters to do what this description says he's going to. How much for, there's a typo in it, I can't believe it. How much for you know about America? Jesse, Wa- 
On the official Fox News website, there's a title in this description of the show called How Much Do You Know About How Much For You Know About America. If you want to double check that, go ahead. Um, oh. Jesse Waters travels. They put the price up. It's <laughs> it's what I would expect. So the price for this beautiful programming is six dollars a month or sixty four ninety nine yearly. You can get that for your grandparents for Christmas. It's a great Christmas gift for your for your grandparents, guys. Jesse Waters looks like a character if like Friends never went off the air and it was still on the air now. He looks like a character that would like just like be like a reoccurring character in like its thirtieth season now. Like a background guy in Seinfeld. Just like this this burnt to a crisp, strange man trapped in like a time lapse of the nineties. Well now you can watch him travel our beautiful country in pursuit of the best banter when it comes to politics, social and current events and the vital importance of American history and patriotism. Who wrote this? How much do you know about our founding fathers? How much do you know about the American dream, cultural icons, and why do we as a nation celebrate certain American holidays? It's brain power, laughs, and Jesse, exclamation mark. It's Walt, it's Waters World, and you're in it. You can watch Cooking with Steve Ducey, who is on Fox and Friends. Um, the Wise Guys with Mark Penn, Molly Hemingway, Bill Bennett, and Pat, somehow still alive, Buchanan. I was actually shocked when I learned Buchanan wasn't dead. You know, I was confused when I was looking through the show notes because I thought I was supposed to know about all of these no, things. No, absolutely so not. So I looked up a bunch of them. I was like, what does Borked mean? Who are yeah, all these I, people? I really didn't know anything about this until I was filling out the show notes because I knew Fox Nation was a thing and I wanted to look into the programming and have us talk about it. Um, it, it really sounds like a slightly upper, like higher quality version of PragerU. It that, really that, does. That's the vibe. Uh, I feel like it might actually be a lower quality version of PragerU. I don't know. PragerU is pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it's Animation's literally nice. like the animation is yeah, very nice. for sure. They it spent a lot of money on PragerU. If you, I mean, it's not the con. I mean, it might be the content. You're right. They you do guys spend a lot of money. It is the content for us. They do yeah. spend a lot of money. It's to like this. Shell out it's like the, the result of every conservative think tank in America just funnels into PragerU. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You can watch. Stain Starnes Country, and this is a Fox News commentator I've never seen before. You can watch Todd him. Starnes. Yes, uh, you can watch him. What's his talk- name? Todd Starnes. Todd Starnes. Yeah, you can watch him give his opinions on immigration with Mike Huckabee and Corey Lewandowski. I don't want to miss that. Which, oh, Corey Lewandowski, <laughs> oh boy. man! After I he hope, hit that uh, reporter, I love my Corey Lewandowski news. I hope Huckabee lays down a couple of bass lines. Maybe plays "Money" by Pink Floyd. He started doing really bad comedy on Twitter, and now I have to follow him. Um, 30, 13 Hours in Benghazi, another great film that, that is on Fox Nation. Is is Dinesh D'Souza involved? He's got to be at some he, point. Yeah, he's got to be in there somewhere. I don't know. He's probably making too much money from his speaking tours. Yeah, he's making a lot of money from the speaking tours. Did you ever YouTube watch? ad revenue, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever watch his movie? Because I wa- watched the Hillary Clinton one. I didn't see the Barack Obama one. He did a whole podcast. Was it on the Barack Obama one? Uh, it was on... Um, uh, Hillary's America. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a riot. What did it's you guys think movie. of that that movie? Because I've never seen it. Um, I'd really go uh, encourage everyone to go check out our episode. It was called Dinesh's America or How Not to Do Propaganda. <laughs> uh, the podcast was called Moving Pictures. Um, me and Mitch we talked about how uh, Dinesh basically tries to set up this history of the Democratic Party without a lot of historical context to kind of put it into context of how the country has changed since like the 1860s. That's you know? a weird time to, okay. Um, I mean, yeah. like here's, here's like a clear couple examples of how America's changed in like even the last 150 years. We used to have child labor. We used to have children work like 14 hour days and die. There used to be like mass, uh, like, like sickness and, 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 and starvation Okay, we were like a third a third world country. 
like 150 years ago. Okay, it's changed since then. And that's what he's that's what he ties to it to. Well, he basically says that because the Democratic Party were like racist and horrible, which I mean, yeah, they were. Uh, that they were they haven't changed even slightly since then. And I would still argue that the Democrats are like terrible and like somewhat racist still to this day. But he really, really just paints them with like basically the whole like short short of calling them Nazis, basically. Um but what what what's yeah. really funny is just how he like the whole movie is just like these really bad historical reenactments with this really bad acting. Is and it, then, I really want to like, watch Din- this. Now. Dinesh looking like he's in like an episode of Law and Order SVU or something. <laughs> yeah. He's like sleuthing around. He's breaking he's like breaking into, you know, Democratic headquarters. Oh my god. It's a it's a really intense movie. There's a there's musical numbers. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. No, um, he like walks into like a DNC headquarters and then sees like a portrait of some president on the wall and then like sneaks into a back room and finds all of these documents about how terrible the Democratic Party was and then switches yeah. that picture with a picture of Andrew Jackson. Oh my god. That's okay. That's actually kind of funny. <laughs> and I also read some portions of uh his book The End of Racism on the podcast cuz um there's some stances in the book that I felt kind of contradicted some points he was trying to make in the film. No. But um yeah, uh not a good movie and I just felt like it was uh too stupid to be effective. Okay. Oh. Which, yeah. No, I can tell you that it was effective for some people. Like and that's that that's but in in, in my opinion that was like my big cri- my big criticism is like it's only going to affect those people that I feel are already are, on the bandwagon. Are already going right. to absorb that like it's gospel anyway. Right. I mean they're I don't voting feel like, take a Republican already. If you yeah. watch that movie usually like if you if you pay money to see that movie, unless you're doing a political podcast, yeah. I feel like you're checking the box yeah. of the Republicans. Yeah, because like I mean, you're, you're 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 a college Republican. Like, do you have a like what what's your opinion of Dinesh? My opinion of Dinesh is kind of complicated. At first, I kind of liked him because some of the things that he says are true, and then he says things that are totally outlandish. All right, what, like, what what what's something that he says that's true? I, I'm 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 just curious. Like like what's something that that he says that like you're a fan of? I guess. Oh, I think. Um, he does an okay job contextualizing the Democrats during the 1960s because obviously there was a switch in the party platforms, but I think he's right that a lot of the time the switch is overestimated. And I also think that people estimate that the switch happened much earlier than it actually did. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of that, there's a lot of revisionist history about the, the, the the Democrats because a lot of Democrats and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but like Democrats, they have a very racist history, like even up, up until like the 90s through Clinton. I mean, yeah, I mean, Republicans didn't even win a majority of Southern seats until 1992. Obama deported millions and millions of people. Yeah, Obama I mean, yeah. deported more people than George W. Bush did. Yeah, Obama also deployed more troops in Afghanistan than George W. Bush did, yeah. used four times more drone strikes and killed twice as many civilians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like that's that's kind of like why I, I don't like being trapped in this kind of political debate of where. Like, that's why I'm happy I'm not a Democrat, because I feel like I'd have to be trapped in this debate with you where I have to be this, like, I'd have to show allegiance to. Yeah, the, yeah. The, that's why the, I don't the, consider the Democrats and I have a Democrat to have, either, oh, okay. because I don't, I don't bother, like, humoring the people who say, well, Obama did this. I'm like, yeah, and he's shitty for it. Okay, fair and enough. Why, I, and that's why I, people, I thought you were just a Democrat. people don't really call me a Democrat and I don't really affiliate with the party. But I feel like that's the case for a lot of people my age, Yeah, is that they don't want the party tag because it comes with all this baggage. And I'm sure right. people also feel that way for the Republicans. Yeah, too. like, I mean, College Republicans is pretty much the only conservative organization on campus. I would yeah. consider myself a libertarian. Mm-hmm. But, like, if you want to 
Me too, Go but uh, <laughs> on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah, which I think is why we agree on some things more than we would have estimated that we were going to. Which yeah. I think would really be a potential move forward if we could get reasonable proprietarian, like, you know, uh, uh, libertarians on the side of more kind of like leftist libertarians. I think that could yeah. actually be a really potential good thing politically. But uh, Yeah, no, but I mean, if you want to go somewhere on campus and hang out with people who aren't super liberal. That's pretty much the only place you can go is the college mm -hmm. Republicans. Yeah. So that's, I don't really like the party label either, but it's yeah. the only one we got. So <laughs> yeah. Can, can, can I ask, uh, and I don't mean this like to align you, but can I ask your opinion of those like uh, right wing pamphlets that were kind of left all over campus? Did you guys hear about that? No. That, that Texas uh, white nationalist group. There was one that said no socialism here and it was like an eagle carrying away a hammer and sickle. No, there were there were, there were like a few all over campus. There was like Patriot Prayer, I believe is the group or no, Patriot something. Uh, that kind of strikes me as the same demographic as like Preacher Rick. Yeah, but no, 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 no. Well, let me look it up. CM Life did a whole thing is about this it. A I, wow. Because I, I, it was like a week ago. Hmm. Yeah, while you're you looking here about while it? you're looking that up. Um, so would you ever tune in to Fox Nation? I would never pay money for okay, it. Okay, absolutely not. I'm glad, no, I'm glad definitely we agree not. on that. Yeah. Um, okay, so we while you're doing that, we can talk a little bit more about what the Democrats are doing now that they have a House. So there was a bipartisan bill to protect Robert Mueller. Um, that did not pass because McConnell wouldn't let it get to the floor. And in response, Senator Flake uh, pledged to not vote for any Republican judge appointments for the rest of his time in office. So, have you been following this? What do you think about this uh, giant kind of bipartisan effort? To not a lot, but I. When does Jeff Flake leave office? Um, I believe I will look that up. I don't know how much I don't know how much longer he has, but he's Flake term ending. Because I'm pretty sure that Jeff Flake not voting. Twenty nineteen. Okay, so yeah, I'm pretty sure that Jeff Flake not voting for the federal judges probably isn't going to hurt the GOP a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Mostly because I read about a month ago that the Republicans and Chuck Schumer essentially struck a deal that was like they're not going to block any federal judge appointments as long as the Republicans promise not to do anything else during the lame duck period. So I'm, I'm wondering how that because the first judge was actually did not go through and there it was Jeff Flake and another Republican who voted against him. Um, that judge was also heavily criticized, and yeah. he might be an exception to the rule. If they nominate more moderate judges, I can see that that going right. the opposite way, because Jeff Flake single-handedly cannot stop these judges. Right. It would go to a tie, and then Pence would break it. Right. Um, this was just one of these ex exceptions where there was another Republican to step in and, and vote no on it. Did you find what you were looking for, Brent? Yeah, but, I mean, if he hasn't heard about it, it's not really relevant. Okay, okay so I have some great news. Last week we talked about 2020 candidates and you a no-name candidate who is running whose name I already forgot this week however John Kerry said he's not ruling out a 2020 run and I on Twitter I said he strikes me as one of the few old politicians who is still coherent eh. that's your response it, to John I mean Kerry? how else am I supposed, supposed to respond almost beat Bush it, right yeah, yeah he yeah. almost beat like they might as well nominate Gore like who cares if Al Gore, if you lose to Bush, though, like, <laughs> come on. I think the reason that people. Dukakis. Dukakis. Let's get Dukakis. Dukakis. Oh, there's, there's... You know who they should really run? 
Jimmy Carter. Mater. Oh my God, Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy Carter. Back up, there. up until One last in the week, grave. I was really hoping that like George H. W. Bush yeah, and Jimmy he, Carter would run oh against each other in 2020. Would, that would be hilarious. <laughs> Ross Perot. <laughs> Whoa, Ross Perot is back in the Democratic political sphere. Did you see him? He was interviewed on Rachel Maddow several months ago, I believe. Talking I thought he about, was dead. Honestly, I don't think so. Wow, he's 88 years old. Yeah, still th- kicking. that's how I felt about um, what, what is his name? I. When I learned that Pat Buchanan was not dead, I was shocked. That's how I feel about HW. But I, I mixed him up with Barbara. I oh. Think, yeah. yeah, when he I heard that, I mean, when I read, I think I read it sometime last year, that Jimmy Carter and George HW were both still alive and were the same age, I was like, really? wow. <laughs> I never knew. Um, I guess Jimmy Carter's actually in pretty good health, though. Yeah, well, he lived on that peanut farm all that time. Yeah. So he's he's yeah. got that. He's got a strong farm body. He's going to make it to 102. So we talked about this uh, as well before we started recording. Pelosi has kept her job. Um, is that Does that scare Republicans or are Republicans like, yes, Pelosi is Oh, no, charge. that doesn't scare Republicans exactly. at all. Exactly. I mean, that's, that is exactly what Republicans were hoping for. I mean, Donald Trump said it himself. If she was going to lose the vote for Speaker of the House, that he would just tell Republicans to vote for because Nancy Pelosi is someone they want to be. Hmm. And as Speaker of the House, see this is this is why uh, it would really be beneficial to talk to Republicans more because you could understand that Pelosi is such a useless person. I she is so <laughs> totally disagree with useless. you on this. Well, I think the main reason that Republicans wanted that was because if Nancy Pelosi is struggling to get Speaker of the House, and then Republicans give her the votes she needs then they're doing her a favor, and now she's going to be willing to work with them more so than she would have been otherwise. And it's also going to mean a continued fractured uh, left that has this kind of identity crisis between the more uh, younger, further left you know, members and the more like establishment Democratic members. I think it would have been a great opportunity for her to step down and someone else could have taken her place. I don't know. Someone with a bit more of a, we need just new It would have just been there. another old person, it would, though. I know, and that's that's a problem that we talked about a little bit on the last po- podcast. That I feel like the system—that's just how it works in politics. It's like you you're there for a really long time, so you get the job, right? But I mean, like, there's got to be a way that you can like rectify that system. There's got to—I mean, like, how how wonderful would it be if like we could have like you know five year senators? Oh, how wonderful yeah. would that be? Just yeah. like you're in, then you're out. Maybe you can get like you know reelected twice, ten years max. Why do we need people in there for sixty years? It, it's yeah. truly obnoxious. I don't know, uh, but but I mean Pelosi. I feel like like how how you said they're not scared because uh, Trump's already he's basically impenetrable impen, impenetrable against like standard Democrats. Right, right. So I mean, they're they're going to you know offer up that token again, and he's going to beat them again. Yeah, I think Democrats' trouble against Donald Trump is that he has all the old Democrats figured out, and a lot of the young Democrats he can get under their skin. And sometimes you know, he has trouble getting a lot of under the skin of a lot of the older Democrats, but that's a game that everybody knows how to play. We have their playbook for the most part. So I don't know who they're going to find that kind of meets in the middle, but I think they'll find somebody. Okay, so I'm looking up Pelosi votes right now, and it, it it's not a terribly wide mark. Like, she didn't almost lose. She did better now than she did in 2016, I believe, according to the official count. Um, but there were a lot more vocal um, liberals against her. I th- I think you guys are mischaracterizing Pelosi, and I think she really is effective at 
at her job, and we we went on about this last week, so we don't have to do it again. It's fine. But I think in terms of who like who else their options were, I don't know who else you go to. Like you said, the anybody else would just be old, and Pelosi has the experience. I feel like people are. I feel like people like Pelosi are a huge reason for why the system needs to be radically changed, radically altered, to make sure that people like Pelosi don't have to maintain power consistently. Uh, a far less bureaucratic system, a far more kind of democratic system would be ideal. And okay. Yeah, um, that's my take. Okay. Do you have anything to say about Pelosi? Uh, not really. I don't okay. Think, I don't think do there's I. much less to figure out about I don't have Pelosi. anything else. <laughs> yeah. So let's get ready to wrap our final feel-good story. Um, Laura Loomer handcuffs herself to Twitter head- headquarters after she was banned. So um, famous anti-Muslim conservative voice, Laura Loomer. Um, I'm just going to read the entire article from, who is this, the New York Post, and I chose this brief because I think they worded it so well. Oh, this this woman. I've, yes. I've seen her before. Conservative activist Laura Loomer handcuffed herself to the Twitter headquarters in Manhattan on Thursday to protest being banned from the social media site. Loomer, 25, shackled her hand to the door of the building on West 17th Street near 8th Avenue at around 4 p.m. and became stuck there after claiming she did not have the key to open the handcuffs, according to law enforcement sources. The activist, I'm going to put activist in quotes, said she planned on staying there all night, but asked to be freed shortly after. We then cut the handcuffs off her and sent her on our way, a police source told the Post. Loomer was banned from the social media site platform for making inflammatory comments about the newly elected representative, I'm not going to pronounce this right, Ilhan Omar, Democrat from MN, is that uh, Minnesota. Minnesota, who is Muslim. That's our, that's our feel-good story, guys. Yeah. Uh, uh, Gabe, your take first. Um, well, I think if conservative people are going to try to protest, they should probably do a better job of it. Yeah, most of the conservative pundits distance themselves from her as quickly as possible. Yeah, it's just I mean, kind of a whack job. Yeah, like you kind of hear about this a lot on the right that it's like, well, first they came for Alex Jones, and then they came for whoever. And now they're coming for Laura Loomer, and when does it stop? And it's like, yeah, you can do that once they've deplatformed a reasonable person, mm-hmm. like. If they like, I don't know, deep, I don't even know like who to think of at the moment, but like, um, like if they deplatformed Mitch McConnell, yeah. then you could be like, all right, guys. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, or like anybody in the US, like actually in the US government. Right. Uh, I'm just going to say this. If your conception of free speech kind of like starts and ends with like your, your Discord server got shut down because like you were sharing like saying mean things, I don't know, like anti Semitic memes or something. Like, this is not a free speech issue, right. and I wish so many people would, like, stop complaining about, like, these, like, weird, like, Twitch and Twitter politics and start living more in the real world politically, because these are not free speech issues. We do a whole episode and, on and, games and, and, journalism. And it creates this entire, just, like, collusion in terms, a mass, like, confusion. I mean, it's, it's, it's bizarre. Right. And, I and mean, then, Twitter's then, a private company. They can do what they want. Yeah, yeah and then, and then, and then in turn, you get these people that work for, like, James O'Keefe. And these people that are essentially like that live to just be like these human think tanks, which kind of goes back to that whole problem with corporate politics, because then you get these people that just like live to be propagandic. Yeah. Okay. Is that where we're going to end in it together for this week, guys? Laura Loomer 
Handcuffing yourself to Twitter because I'm totally fine with that. Listen to the new Earl Sweatshirt album, some rap songs. It's okay, great. It's okay. It's a great, it's not, it's a great album. Okay. It's a great, <laughs> well, great, great album. It's weird, but it's great. Anything else, <laughs> any other thing else you want to say before we take off? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think I'm good. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. Thank you guys for listening to In It Together.